tonight we are on more about alcoholism. Um, we've covered, uh, started with the cover to the big book, and we looked at the table of contents and the books laid out telling us the problem, the solution, and then the program of action to obtain the solution. That's the theme of the book. That's the way it's laid out. Now, we read Doctor's Opinion and studied that. And in that, the doctor tells us uh, his opinion of what's wrong with us. He talks about the allergy of the body. And then he talks about that produces the phenomenon of craving. So you always want a second drink. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Uh, we're going to look at more of that tonight and more about alcoholism. He talked about the obsession of the mind that tells us that we seek the ease and comfort of alcohol when we don't feel good, and then it sets up the whole pattern over and over again. Uh, then we, uh, then there was Bill's story as the next chapter, and Bill's story is to show us someone who suffered from this disease and what happened to him and how he took the steps and how he changed. And the first eight pages of Bill's story is designed for you to read it and see if you thought like Bill, drank like Bill, acted like Bill. And then he admits complete defeat on page eight. And then uh, the next uh, four or five pages show how he meets Abby, right? And he's told about the program of action and the spiritual solution. And then he takes the steps in town's hospital. And then we see how he changed and he wanted to go out to the world and take this message. And then he died in 1971. So. Uh, for people reading it for the first time, they, it was 1939, but now we know he lived another 36 years, or 37 years, and didn't die of alcoholism. Um, and that story is very powerful. It's on the site. We went through it. Then the next chapter is there's the solution. And they talk about the there's one solution in AA and what it is. First, they tell us that we're required to have two things. We need a fellowship of people who have the same common peril, and we're all suffering from the same common peril. We can't drink, we can't use drugs, we can't live and manage our lives. And then it says that that is a powerful force, but that won't hold us together. We need the program of action, the spiritual solution. And so you need two powers to have the solution. And, and the one power, the fellowship and the common peril is designed to bring you to people who found the spiritual solution so that you can do it and then you can help somebody else do the spiritual solution. And so it started with two people and at the time of the big book was written, <clears throat> there probably weren't more people sober than are in this room, believe it or not. We have what, 40 some people here tonight. There are only about 40 or 50 people sober when they wrote the book. And now the book's uh, published, I think, in 25 million copies and there are about two million people recovered in the world. And then we learned in there is a solution uh, that we have no defense against the next drink. What that means is if you're an alcoholic, a real alcoholic, that you're gonna drink again. You have no defense against the next drink. And then on page 25, they tell us about the solution and they tell us how it's a f uh, forming a relationship with our creator that gives us the power to live and changes the way we see everything. And then the end of that chapter, talks about Roland Hazard and he went to Dr. Young and Dr. Young told him that he had the mind of a chronic alcoholic. He's never seen anyone recover. Remember, Roland had a year of intense therapy. He did group for a year. 
cost him a lot of money, I think, too. It was in Switzerland. And, and he, uh, he thought he knew himself perfectly. He said he knew the inner workings of his mind perfectly. Uh, I think all you get when you, when you know the inner workings of an alcoholic mind is you, you know a lot of crap. And he, he, knew, he knew the inner workings of his mind so perfectly that drinking was inconceivable to him, and he was drunk three days later. So he went back to see Dr. Young, and he told him, I've never seen a single person recover. But he did tell him that throughout history, there's this phenomenon of people recovering who've had a total rearrangement of their personality. Their ideas, attitudes towards life are dramatically changed. They change the way they see things. They have a relationship with the power outside of themselves that helps them live and be transformed, a transformation of their personality. And so Roland says, well, I go to church. And he says, well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about something that's going to change a relationship with God, not just a religious practice. And so he went to uh, back to the United States, joined the Oxford Group, which was a uh, spiritual program that we took most of the AA program from. I've been studying the Oxford Group. I read there, uh, there's an Oxford group uh, manifest or text that somebody wrote. They, they used the word anonymous, by the way. And it was written in 1933. It describes their four steps. It describes their conversion experience, their transformation. And then he, uh, he went to uh, Ebby Thatcher, rescued him from prison. And then Ebby went to Bill, and we're here today. And now, uh, at the end of that uh, chapter, it says the stories on page 29 are going to show us how we establish our relationship with God. And uh, now they're going to show us on, on page 30 more about alcoholism. Well, why would alcoholics need to know more about alcoholism? <laughs> Seems silly, but they're, they're trying to get us to give up on ourselves, to give up on ourselves as a solution. And we have to understand the fatal nature of our disease and what exactly is wrong with us. And this chapter is really in two parts. It, the first part, they talk about uh, whether you can control your drinking. And then they hammer home over and over again the, what they call the queer mental twist that tells you it's okay to drink. And you know, of course, you're an alcoholic. And anybody tells you it's okay to drink, there's something wrong with that. Well, the problem with that is that your mind tells you right before you drink it's okay. And once you have that established, there's no hope for you on your own. And they put this chapter in here because they're going to get ready to talk about God. And they're going to do that on, on the next chapter, We Agnostics. And they're going to talk about lack of power is our dilemma. They're getting us ready to give up on ourselves and seek the power. Does this make sense? Now on page 30... Um, uh, there's a lot of information in these pages, so we're going to go slow. And um, it says more about alcoholism. It says most of us, whenever they say most of us, they mean everybody. But they never want to do it. They did not provide absolutes. It says rarely, most of us, uh, probably. But they're suggesting that many of us were unwitting, uh, willing to admit we were real alcoholics. I think there's a point. In, in all of our lives where that was true. And it says no person, and they're not going to talk about what a real alcoholic is. Uh, no person likes to think he's bodily and mentally different from his fellows. So we are therefore 
they're, what they're saying is you're bodily and mentally different from your fellow human beings. And they describe what's wrong with our body and what's wrong with our mind. Because there's something different about us. Once we drink, we can't control how much we drink. And our mind, in spite of that, tells us it's okay to drink and it's going to be all right this time. And it says... Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless feign attempts to prove we could drink like other people. Did anybody try to do that? I don't know if a lot of alcoholics actually try to drink like normal people because we don't know how normal people drink. And most alcoholics never drank normally, did they? And so uh, I think what they're trying to get at is that you could control how much you drank and that you could you could control your, uh, what would happen after you drank. And it says, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking. Control and enjoy is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. And so uh, we had to prove we could drink like other people. Uh, how do other people drink? Well, they stir their glasses. They wave their hand over the glass. Have you ever seen that where people say they've had enough? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that's all about. You know, they go in the airplane, they pour the drink, and they play with it, and they look at it. Um, and they also say they're starting to feel it. I'm beginning to feel it, so I, I've had enough. And that's not in the alcoholic's vocabulary. Uh, we drink right through that. And it says the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking. So what they're saying is, can you control your drinking and enjoy it? It's like if you would only drink two drinks, would you enjoy your drinking? And then if you enjoy your drinking, can you control it? And so there are two things that are, uh, that someday I'm going to control and enjoy the drinking. is an obsession of every abnormal drinker. And I think after a while, uh, uh, those statements were in the past, but towards the end, uh, I think most people realize they can't drink like other people and they can't control and they don't enjoy it anymore. And it says the persistence of this illusion, now illusion is a lie. It's a lie, it's an illusion, it's astonishing. And it's not true. So there's, there are people that think that they, that they can control and enjoy their drinking. Is the great obsession and they believe that and then they pursue that thought into the gates of insanity and death. So what they're saying is if you, if you can't see at least the truth that you can't control uh, your drinking, that you won't stop. I think most people realize they can't control it at some point once they take alcohol, but they think that they're going to be able to fix the, uh, the choice of when they drink. And then right before they drink, they must say to themselves, I'm going to control it this time. Now, that's why willpower won't work, because an alcoholic mind is damaged. And an alcoholic mind will tell you that it's okay to drink at 11 o'clock when you sworn at 10 o'clock you're never going to drink again. It's ruining your life. It's a ridiculous thing. You swear, you take oaths, you write papers, uh, you get on your knees. At 11 o'clock, your mind says it's okay. Now, if that's true, then you have no defense against drinking, because your mind is damaged. It can't tell you that it's wrong to drink. And that's what uh, normal people don't understand. You know, look what he's doing again. It seems so ridiculous. It's, it's insane. And actually, when you're sober a while and you're working with new people and they keep drinking, you say to yourself, gee, 
how did that happen? Then you have to stop and say, well, they're alcoholics. They, they have no power, and you have to try to help them find the power so that they don't have to drink again. And we're all there. We never get to the point where I can make the choice not to drink, and I certainly can't control it if I drink, but I can make the choice to seek God. And I have to understand that never in my own power am I going to have the choice to drink. But as soon as I have a relationship with God, he gives me the power. And there's a difference. So I don't get well with God's assistance. I give up, and with God's power, I don't have to drink today. And we never want to get away from the idea that we have no choice. Because if we do, then we think that we're going to, we, we make a choice, which meetings we're going to go to, what steps we're going to do, uh, how much time we're going to pray, how much time we're going to meditate, we start taking control of our lives. So that, that, that ability to see the truth is absolutely essential. Now, you know why I, I know that? Because of the next few lines. It said they learned. So they learned this. This is something that they learned through experience. That they had to fully concede to their innermost selves of their alcoholics. Now, fully concede means a complete surrender to the idea that they're an alcoholic. So everybody here said they're an alcoholic, did they? And a God seeker. We love you, dear. It's great you come. And so we're all alcoholic. Now we all said that. Now do we know what that means? So what does it mean when you say you're an alcoholic? And then people say, well, I can't have one drink and I can't, don't have the power of choice. But that's the effects from being an alcoholic, but what makes you an alcoholic? And I, I didn't know that when I came in here. And, and um, Ashley alluded to it. Alcoholics are people that can't live with their feelings in the moment. They, they, they're people who are always at dis-ease with the world. And they don't feel okay. And the doctor said we seek the ease and comfort of alcohol when we're irritable, restless, and discontented. And a lot of us don't realize that we're, we've been irritable, restless, and discontent our whole life. This feeling of fear, this feeling of being uneasy, it's, it's what we swim in, most of us. And, and we're used to it. And then it says, I need something to fix that. So uh, it could be drugs or alcohol. Whatever you choose to take to fix that will have power over you. Because then your mind will say, if I don't feel good, I'm restless, irritable, discontent. It, it, says, it says to me, get something to fix it. And we've learned that alcohol could fix it in the beginning, but then it stopped working, remember? And when it stopped working, we don't have the choice over it anymore. And then our bodies tell us we can't stop, so we're really in big trouble. And Ashley made a good point about alcohol and drugs. Once you get through the first part of the first step, it's the same spiritual malady. And then you have to be sure you know what you're powerless over. And so I'm powerless. I know I'm powerless over anything that changes my perception of reality, the way I see things. And if it does, I'll abuse it. And so what do I mean by that? Well, the disease of alcohol is a disease of perception. We don't like the way things are. And we want to change it. So we take something to change it. And now what we're going to learn, instead of drinking or using drugs, we're going to seek God. And God's going to change the way we see things, and that's a better solution. So we took a spiritual solution, spirits, alcohol or drugs, to treat our ill at ease with our, our world. And now we're going to seek God to be at ease with the world.
Now, I didn't know that when I came in here, and, I, and, and that's what I've learned. So I had to fully concede, fully admit that I'm an alcoholic. I have to admit that every day. Well, how do I do that? Well, I, I pray and ask God first thing in the morning, direct my life, direct my thinking. I need help. I'm always powerless without God. And so we have to fully concede, fully admit to our innermost selves. Now, Mickey B, I really like him. He's kind of a, he's a character, but he gives a really good talk on the first three steps and fully conceding. And he makes the point that the Germans had complete surrender in 1918. They signed it. They gave up completely. They fought this war, and the Americans came over, and we took it over, and we beat them. And they fully conceded to their innermost selves that they were done, right? And then 20 years later, they said, we're going to do it again. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not fully conceding that we're, we were defeated. They weren't fully defeated. So they did it again, and then we had to do the same thing. And so we can't think that we're going to succeed and surrender a little bit now. It has to be permanent. Now, the permanent surrender I told you about is MacArthur on the aircraft carrier with the Japanese in 1945. I don't know if it's a true story, but it sounds good. Uh, the Japanese, uh, they came there. You can see the pictures. You guys are too young, but when I was a kid, you could see the pictures in the aircraft carrier. It was on the Missouri. Missouri, there you go. And then MacArthur, they show the picture with the top hats and this and that. And the Japanese guy, they hands him the... Uh, the conditions of unconditional surrender, and the Japanese guy puts his glasses on. And MacArthur said, you don't need to read this. This is complete surrender. You just need to sign it. And I think that's what we have to do when we come in here. We have to have complete surrender. And to do that, we have to fully concede to our innermost selves that we're alcoholics. Why? Because it says this is the first step in recovery. You have to fully concede you're an alcoholic, and then when you concede you're an alcoholic, then you can admit you're powerless over it. Because since I'm an alcoholic, I can't control how much I drink and I don't have the power of choice. And what makes me an alcoholic is that I took alcohol to change the way I saw the world. And so uh, it says the delusion, which is another form of lie, that I'm like other people, has to be smashed. <laughs> and, and it's a delusion, which is an lie, and the illusion, and this obsession. And so, they're using the terms here for not seeing the truth about our situation. It says, we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. Anybody agree with that? If anybody was to think of relapsing, we'll call it relapsing, everybody wants to go get a drink tonight, how many alcoholics are going to go and buy one little bottle? You see? We wouldn't even think that way. Normal people wouldn't understand that. We know that we're going to need enough. And then remember what they put on every alcohol bottle. The uh, Congress wanted to put a warning label on alcohol. Everybody remember that? 1958, they had a big hearing, and they invited AA, and they wanted to ask AA's opinion on what you should put on every bottle of liquor. And AA says, well, we have no opinion on anything, but you might want to put a warning label. This will run out. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good because that's true. It says we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control. 
And so there's this spiral, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Now, I think incomprehensible and pitiful demoralization is a gift, if you can get that. If you can see the truth about your situation, that's what they call hitting bottom. You can't lie to yourself anymore about your situation. We're convinced the man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. Now, how can that be true? You don't drink for 20 years. How can it be getting worse? You're not drinking. Well, your liver's getting older. And you don't metabolize alcohol as well. And you start drinking the way you, you wanted to drink before, and it, gets, it causes a lot more damage very quickly. So that's why you hear about these people who've been, who are older who start drinking again, and they don't last very long because their body is older and more damaged. It says, um, over a considerable better, we get worse, never better. It says, we are men, like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. <coughs> Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. Now, they're talking now really about the controlling of the drinking. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there have been brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree that there's no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. I think it would be, it would be bad if we could take a pill that would fix our, our drinking, because then I wouldn't seek God. And then I know I'd take two pills. Because if one pill, if one pill's gonna be good, two would be even better, right? And before you know it, we're overdosing with the pills to treat our alcoholism. They've tried all sorts of things, but I think uh, the, the only thing that has worked for me is this program and this book, and that's why we study it. Other people can find other solutions, but this is a solution that AA has, and it's worked for me. Despite all we could say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they're in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. I think things have changed now since the book was written, because now a lot of people come in here, they've been to treatment, they've gotten in trouble, and a lot of people can admit that they can't control their drinking. And they can see that they, they can't stop, but they can't see the second part of the first step that their lives are unmanageable <coughs> sober. And they can't see the relation between making a mess of their lives sober and then drinking. And so it's changed a little bit, but they, the people that they worked with, they found on the street, they found in the asylums. Uh, if anyone is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Here's some of the methods we have tried. And they go through a whole bunch of stuff. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house. <coughs> anybody make solemn oaths on how they're gonna control their drinking? And uh, anybody ever break them? Never, anybody make a decision when they were gonna quit? They had a date. They had a date when they're gonna quit. And then the day comes and you've got, you set the, reset the date. That's too soon. We'll do it next week. Uh, uh, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines. I like this. Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. Taking a trip, not taking a trip. Swearing <coughs> off forever. With and without a solemn oath. 
taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to psalms, we can increase the list ad infinitum. We do not like to pronounce any individual alcoholic. So I've heard that people say you shouldn't tell anybody they're an alcoholic, right? You've heard that sometimes, but that's not what it says. It says we don't like to pronounce any individual alcoholic. Because uh, remember, Dr. Bob told AA number three, he walked in the room, he says, you're an alcoholic. But we like the people to see it themselves, so we like to tell our experience and see what their experience was with alcohol. Does that make sense? So that they can see the truth, because it's their experience that's going to drive their first step. It says, step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you're honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. There was a, uh, there was the Marty Mann test, and I've heard it described different ways, but actually she was the first woman in AA, and she was sent by Dr. Thiebault, and she actually became head of the National Council for Alcoholism. She was the first... Uh, person to be head of that organization and she had this test and she says for six months whenever you drank just drink two drinks so if you only drank on the weekends only drink two drinks on the weekend if you drank every day just drink two weeks two drinks and drink it at the same time you know limit it to like six o'clock the two drinks and then see if you could do that for six months now it's been changed now I heard when you hear it now you hear about one month which I think is sufficient, and just two drinks a day, and um, see if you can do that. Uh, there's no way of proving it. We believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. I don't know if that's true. We have no way of knowing that. But the difficulty is few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there's yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who show definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one of them. So now they're talking about, um, they talked about the control, right? And how you can't control how much you drink. And now they're talking about the mind and, uh, and what happens. And so they're gonna switch soon to focusing mainly on the mind because we can't change our bodies. And, and I don't know about you, but if you ever thought about having a drink, you wouldn't, you, you would always, when in the back of your mind, is that it could be enough, you know? And I remember on the cruise ship, they uh, wondered why I wasn't drinking the toast. It was free. And uh, they were having a little toast, a little glass of something. I said, no, nah, I won't taste it. I said, I'm allergic to alcohol. They said, well, you can have a little bit. I said, yeah, but I don't know if there's enough booze on the ship. So they give you a strange look, you know. Uh, but, you know, they don't understand that. That, that uh, uh, we never know what's going to happen. I like Father Leo. He talked about how he had one drink. He was going to a church thing, and the lady said, you can have one drink, Father Leo, one drink. So he, he says, okay, he'll have one drink. And then he goes home, and he said, you know, it wasn't too bad. He just had the one drink. But he left his watch in the bar. <laughs> Get it? So he goes back to the bar and he says the the lion was disturbed, and then he was off and running. So I don't think there's uh, for any of us we could really 
successfully do that experiment. He says, a man of 30, I'm going to read this and then we'll, we'll stop. A man of 30 was, and this, this example of man of 30 was in one of those books that I read that they used to uh, write the big book. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning. Any nervous people in the morning? After these bouts, and quiet himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but so he would get nowhere if he drank it all. So he had this, his higher power, his motivation was to be successful in business. So because that was his, his higher power, he could put the alcohol on the back burner because that became his higher power. And he, once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. So his plan was never to stop drinking. His plan was to be successful and then to drink himself the rest of his life. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. But we don't know if he was happy inside. He was successful in business. Then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then here he gathers all of his forces. He put them all together, willpower, everything. He attempted to stop altogether, and he found he could not. Every means of solving his problem with money could buy was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This contains, contains, case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us believe that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could therefore drink normally. I think some people actually believe that, and they say, well, I've been sober a long time, and their minds, their ego starts to play tricks on them, and it starts to say, well, you know, you, you could have a drink now, and your ego is taking back control, and then they actually believe it right before they take the drink, or some people are so miserable they don't care, they just drink. But it says, uh, uh, here was a man at 55 years, found he was just where he left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated over and over again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing the drink after a period of sobriety, we're in short time as bad as ever. If we're planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we'll be immune to alcohol. So you have to understand, uh, once you take your first step, it's the first step forever. And uh, we were talking about that, I think Wednesday night or last Sunday. We don't want to get too far from our first step. That's why they're spending a lot of time on this. And then I think uh, we'll open it up here. And then uh, when I come back, we're going to go through uh, the next few examples, unless you want me to read another example. I think we'll open it up. People talk about uh, how they relate to this. And then um, this chapter has so much information. We're going to read about the jaywalker, Jim, and Fred. And the chapter, the whole idea of this chapter is to get the page, to get the page uh, 43. We'll just read this last paragraph on page 43. And this is how they end the, period, the information on alcoholism. It says, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. No effective mental defense against the first drink. 
except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from higher power. They're doing 43 pages of doctor's opinion to get us to that point. Okay, so I'll turn this off and we'll open it up. If I can figure out how to do that. And